Chapter 5 Planet of the Damned by Harry Harrison. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Planet of the Damned by Harry Harrison. Chapter 5 Dis, Igel said, consulting a thick file. Third planet out from its primary, Epsilon Eridani. The fourth planet is Nijord. Remember that, because it's going to be very important. Dis is a place you need a good reason to visit, and no reason at all to leave. Too hot, too dry. The temperature in the temperate zones rarely drops below a hundred Fahrenheit. The planet is nothing but scorched rock and burning sand. Most of the water is underground and normally inaccessible. The surface water is all in the form of briny, chemically saturated swamps, undrinkable without extensive processing. All the facts and figures are here in the folder, and you can study them later. Right now, I want you just to get the idea that this planet is as loathsome and inhospitable as they come. So are the people. This is a solido of a disson. Leah gasped at the three-dimensional representation on the screen. Not at the physical aspects of the man. As a biologist trained in the specialty of alien life, she had seen a lot stranger sights. It was the man's pose, the expression on his face, tense to leap, his lips drawn back to show all of his teeth. He looks as if he wanted to kill the photographer, she said. He almost did, just after the picture was taken. Like all Dissons, he has an overwhelming hatred and loathing of off-worlders. Not without good reason, though. His planet was completely settled by chance during the breakdown. I'm not sure of the details, but the overall picture is clear, since the story of their desertion forms the basis of all the myths and animistic religions on Dis. Apparently there were large-scale mining operations carried on there once. The world is rich enough in minerals, and mining them is very simple. But water came only from expensive extraction processes, and I imagine most of the food came from off-world which was good enough until the settlement was forgotten, the way a lot of other planets were during the breakdown. All the records were destroyed in the fighting, and the ore carriers were pressed into military service. Dis was on its own. What happened to the people there is a tribute to the adaptation possibilities of Homo sapiens. Individuals died, usually in enormous pain, but the race lived. Changed a good deal, but still human. As the food and water ran out and the extraction machinery broke down, they must have made heroic efforts to survive. They couldn't do it mechanically, but by the time the last machine collapsed, enough people were adjusted to the environment to keep the race going. Their descendants are still there, completely adopted to the environment. Their body temperatures are around 130 degrees. They have specialized tissue in the gluteal area for storing water. But these are minor changes compared to the major ones they have done in fitting themselves for this planet. I don't know the exact details, but the reports are very enthusiastic about symbiotic relationships. They assure us this is the first time Homo sapiens has been an active part of either commensalism or quillinism other than in the role of the host. Wonderful, Leah exclaimed. Is it, Igel scowled? Perhaps from the abstract scientific point of view. If you can keep notes, perhaps you might write a book about it sometime. But I'm not interested. I'm sure all these morphological changes and disgusting intimacies will fascinate you, Dr. Mores. 
but while you're counting blood types and admiring your thermometers, I hope you will be able to devote a little time to the study of the Dyson's obnoxious personalities. We must either find out what makes these people tick, or we're going to have to stand by and watch the whole lot blown up. Going to do what? Leah gasped. Destroy them? Wipe out this fascinating genetic pool? Why? Because they are so incredibly loathsome. That's why, Igel said. These aboriginal hotheads have managed to lay their hands on some primitive cobalt bombs. They want to light the fuse and drop these bombs on Nijord, the next planet. Nothing said or done can convince them differently. They demand unconditional surrender, or else. This is impossible for a lot of reasons, most important because the Nijorders would like to keep their planet for their own. They've tried every kind of compromise, but none of them works. The Dissons are out to commit racial suicide. A Nijord fleet is now over Dis, and the deadline has almost expired for the surrender of the cobalt bombs. The Nijord ships carry enough H-bombs to turn the entire planet into an atomic pile. That is what we must stop. Brian looked at the Solido on the screen, trying to make some judgment of the man. Bare, horny feet. A bulky, ragged length of cloth around the waist was the only garment. What looked like a piece of green vine was hooked over one shoulder. From a plated belt were suspended a number of odd devices made of hand-beaten metal, drill stone, and loop leather. The only recognizable item was a thin knife of unusual design. Loops of piping, flared bells, carved stones tied in senseless patterns of thonging gave the rest of the collection a bizarre appearance. Perhaps they had some religious significance. But the well-worn and handled look of most of them gave Brian an uneasy sensation. If they were used, what in the universe could they be used for? I can't believe it, he finally concluded. Except for the exotic hardware, this lowbrow looks as if he has sunk back into the Stone Age. I don't see how his kind can be any real threat to another planet. The Nijorders believe it, and that's good enough for me, Igel said. They're paying our Cultural Relations Foundation a good sum to try and prevent this war. Since they are our employers, we must do what they asked. Brian ignored this large lie, since it was obviously designed as an explanation for Leah. But he made a mental note to query Igel later about the real situation. Here are the tech reports. Igel dropped them on the table. Dis has some spacers as well as the cobalt bombs though these aren't the real threat. A tramp trader was picked up leaving Dis. It had delivered a jump space launcher that can drop these bombs on Nijord while anchored to the bedrock of Dis. While essentially a peaceful and happy people, the Nijorders were justifiably annoyed at this and convinced the tramp's captain to give them some more information. It's all here. Boiled down, it gives a minimum deadline by which time the launcher can be set up and start throwing bombs. When is that deadline, Leah asked? In ten more days. If the situation hasn't changed drastically by then, the Nijorders are going to wipe all life from the face of Dis. I assure you they don't want to do it, but they will drop the bombs in order to assure their own survival. What am I supposed to do, Leah asked, flipping the pages of the report. I don't know a thing about nucleonics or jump space. I'm an exobiologist with a supplementary degree in anthropology. What help could I possibly be? I shall look down at her, stroking his jaw, fingers sunk deep into the rolls of flesh. 
"'My faith in our recruiters is restored,' he said. "'That's a combination that is probably rare, even on earth. "'You're as scrawny as an underfed chicken, "'but young enough to survive if we keep a close eye on you.' "'He cut off Leah's angry protest with a raised hand. "'No more bickering. There isn't time. "'The Nijorders must have lost over thirty agents trying to find the bombs. "'Our Foundation has had six people killed, "'including my late predecessor, in charge of the project. "'He was a good man.' but I think he went at this problem the wrong way. I think it is a cultural one, not a physical one. Run it through again with the power turned up, Leah said, frowning. All I hear is static. It's the old problem of Genesis. Like Newton and the falling apple, Levy and the hysteresis in the warp field, everything has a beginning. If we can find out... Why these people are so hell-bent on suicide, we might be able to change the reasons. Not that I intend to stop looking for the bombs or the jump space generator, either. We're going to try anything that will avert this planetary murder. You're a lot brighter than you look, Leah said, rising and carefully stacking the sheets of the report. You can count on me for complete cooperation. Now I'll study all this in bed if one of you overweight gentlemen will show me to a door with a strong lock on the inside of the door. Don't call me. I'll call you when I want breakfast. Brian wasn't sure how much of her barbed speech was humor and how much was serious, so he said nothing. He showed her to an empty cabin. She did lock the door, then looked for Igel. The winner was in the gallery, adding to his girth with an immense gelatin dessert that filled a good-sized tureen. "'Is she short for a native Terran?' Brienne asked. "'The top of her head is below my chin. "'That's the norm. "'Earth is a reservoir of tired genes. "'Weak backs, veriform appendixes, bad eyes. "'If they didn't have the universities and the trained people we need, I would never use them.' "'Why did you lie to her about the Foundation?' "'Because it's the secret. Isn't that reason enough?' Igel rumbled angrily, scraping the last dregs from the bowl. "'Better eat something. Build up the strength. "'The Foundation has to maintain its undercover status if it's going to accomplish anything. "'If she returns to Earth after this, it's better she should know nothing of our real work. "'If she joins up, there'll be time enough to tell her. "'But I doubt if she will like the way we operate.' particularly since I plan to drop some H-bombs on Dis myself, if we can't turn off the war. I don't believe it. You heard me correctly. Don't bulge your eyes and look moronic. As a last resort, I'll drop the bombs myself, rather than let the Nijorders do it. That might save them. Save them? They'll all be radiated and dead, Brian's voice rose in anger. Not the Dissons. I want to save the Nijorders. Stop clenching your fists and sit down and have some of this cake. It's delicious. The Nijorders are all accounts here. They have a planet blessed by the laws of chance. When Dis was cut off from the outside contact, the survivors turned to a gang of swamp-crawling homicidals. It did the opposite for Nijord. You can survive there just by pulling fruit off a tree. The population was small, educated, intelligent, Instead of sinking into an eternal siesta, they matured into a vitally different society. Not mechanical. They weren't even using the wheel when they were rediscovered. They became sort of cultural specialists, digging deep into the philosophical aspects of interrelationship, the thing that machine societies have never had time for. 
Of course, this was ready-made for the Cultural Relationships Foundation, and we've been working with them ever since. Not guiding so much as protecting them from any blows that might destroy this growing idea. But we've fallen down on the job. Nonviolence is essential to these people. They have vitality without needing destruction. But if they are forced to blow up discs for their own survival, against every one of their basic tenets, their philosophy won't endure. Physically, they'll live on as just one more dog-eat-dog -dog planet with an A-bomb for any of the competition who drop behind. Sounds like a paradise now. Don't be smug. It's just another world full of people with the same old likes, dislikes, and hatred. But they are evolving a way of life together without violence that may someday form the key to mankind's survival. They're worth looking after. Now... Get below and study your dissin and read the reports. Get it all pat before we land. End of chapter 5